0: This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of
1: Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Good day everyone. This is Sean Radcliffe coming to you from Salt Lake City and this is Preservation Oaks, the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio where we feature interviews with professionals from museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies across the United States. Our main platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com but we're on almost every podcast platform as well as YouTube, Facebook and Odyssey. So wherever you get your podcast groove on, I appreciate it very much when you like, comment, follow, or subscribe. We give people a better understanding of these organizations. We let them know how they're supported, how each is unique to the communities they serve, what programs and events they currently have underway, and what services they offer to the public and their members. We believe this information is vital for people to know how to work with these organizations and how important it is to join, support, volunteer with and donate to one or more of these core societies. Remember that your donations are tax deductible. Each guest organization on Preservation Oaks brings with them a truly unique perspective around how they tell the story of their communities, how they continue to be relevant for the times in which we live, and what kinds of exhibits and volunteer opportunities they've created. This makes listening to each episode of the program interesting, fun, and diverse. If you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the program or if you have questions or comments about the program, spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. All right, that all being said, let's get this show snapping. Our curated August historical events for this episode are on August 2nd. 1923, President Warren G. Harding died suddenly in a hotel in San Francisco while on a Western speaking tour. His administration had been tainted by the Teapot Dome political scandal and his sudden death prompted many unfounded rumors. He was succeeded the next day by Calvin Coolidge. In today's world, that event would have ended up on social media platforms with all kinds of alternative and conspiracy theories. Anyway, on August 5th, happy birthday to John Eliot. He lived from 1604 to 1690, and he was born in Hertfordshire, England. He was known as the Apostle to the Indians. His translation of the Bible into an Indian tongue, which happened to be the Massachusetts language, was published in 1661. It was the first Bible to be printed in North America. On August 6th through the 10th, 1787, the great debate occurred during the Constitutional Convention. Outcomes included the establishment of a four-year term of office for the President, granting Congress the right to regulate foreign trade and interstate commerce, and the appointment of a committee to prepare a final draft of the Constitution. Just imagine if we had C-SPAN back then. On August 14, 1935, President Roosevelt signed the Social Security Act establishing the system which guarantees pensions to those who retire at age 65. The Social Security System also aids states in providing financial aid to dependent children, the blind, and others, as well as administering a system of unemployment insurance. 102 years ago, on August 18, 1920, the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was ratified, granting women the right to vote. August 26, happy birthday to American inventor Lee DeForest. He lived from 1873 to 1961. He was born at Council Bluffs, Iowa. He held hundreds of patents for inventions and was also a pioneer in the creation of wireless radio broadcasting and television. Happy birthday on August 27th to Mother Teresa. She lived from 1910 to 1997. She was born as Agnes Gonexa Bojaxhiu in Yugoslavia. She founded a religious order of nuns in Calcutta, India, called the Missionaries of Charity, and spent her life working to help the poor and sick of India. There's a famous quote attributed to Mother Teresa, and she's one of my heroes. She and her sisters, religious, decided to make themselves secondary to everybody else who needed assistance in one of the poorest places on earth at the time, Calcutta, which is now known as Kolkata. I'm about to read an inspirational quote which was found written on the wall in Mother Teresa's Home for Children in Calcutta. It's attributed to Mother Teresa. If you've never heard it, you're in for a wonderful perspective which can change lives. It's called Do It Anyway, and it goes like this. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have, and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and other people anyway. Here's a couple of genealogy quotes. The kind of ancestors you have is not as important as the kindness of their descendants. Many genealogists neglect telling their own stories while in the midst of telling the stories about others. Don't let that happen to your family. You can email us anytime at preservationoaks at gmail.com. Preservation Oaks is available for listeners on nearly all podcast platforms, Facebook and YouTube and Odyssey. On our next episode of Preservation Oaks, we'll be meeting with the Indian Creek Historical Society located in Hastings, Iowa. Founded in 1996, the Indian Creek Historical Society is dedicated to revealing, preserving, and celebrating the agricultural and natural history of the early 20th century of southwest Iowa and seeks to provide residents with opportunities to become culturally and environmentally knowledgeable. It'll be fun and interesting chatting with Bill McGrew, President of the Board of the Society. So stay tuned for that. For this episode, however, we greet President Kent Stalick of the Ford County, Kansas Historical Society and his colleagues, Secretary Connie Pennick, Vice President Doug Austin, and Treasurer Sonia Hughes. I've been excited and waiting to get to this episode and to have a conversation with Kent and his team for two reasons. The first is that I'm really enticed by the history of Ford County, Kansas, which includes Dodge City. There is so much history in this area of the country. And wow, yep, we're about to find out about it. The second reason is because of the Ford County Historical Society, which is a fantastic organization. You folks in Ford County, Kansas have such a wonderful historical society and you're very lucky. If you're a resident in the local area, this episode will help you understand what the society has to offer, how you can participate and take advantage of the worthwhile events the society sponsors, and how to best support them by volunteering and donating. You know, history is something we all experience and also have the opportunity to learn from. Learning from the past is the most powerful driver of the future that we have as humans. And those who ignore the past cause a lot of churn and divisions in our world. How much has been lost and destroyed by people ignoring the lessons of history? During this episode, I'm so excited to learn a bit about the history of Ford County, Kansas, which includes Dodge City, where Wyatt Earp and his brothers enforced law, where Bat Masterson lived and is still remembered. I really want to learn why the city is called the queen of the cow towns, how Wild West days, Dodge City Days and the rodeo are still important events in the city that the people of Ford County attend and support each year. I want to learn about the county's population, demographics and what the Ford County Historical Society is doing across the county today in order to gather and share the history, stories and experiences of the people living there. I'd like to learn more about the Dodge 300 and the Mexican Village what the main industries in the county are today and in history. It's amazing how much history there is in Ford County, Kansas. But what I want to learn most about is the Ford County Historical Society and the unsung heroes of the county who manage it. The Society is a nonprofit organization dedicated to the preservation of the history of Dodge City, Ford County, and the American West. They do this for the people of the county, This organization brings the past to life and makes the community a better place to live, all with the help of a militia of volunteers who make the world go round and round. As I said, today we greet a few special people from the Ford County Historical Society, and here's a brief biography of our guests. Kent Stalick, president of the Ford County Historical Society, has worked with A.C. Nielsen TV Ratings Chicago, Atlanta, and Cleveland and as a professional fundraiser in wisconsin florida and kansas he is a past ford county commissioner and has served on the kansas art commission as well as the main street board he currently serves on the tourism task force board the tourism coalition committee and carnegie center for the arts doug austin the vice president and collections manager of the ford county historical society was born and raised in dodge city He's associated with Boot Hill Museum and currently serves as show director for the Long Branch Variety Show. In addition, he serves as the executive director for the Dodge City High School Alumni Association and executive secretary for the Dodge City Municipal Cowboy Band. Sonia Hughes is board treasurer of the Ford County Historical Society. She's a local business owner for over 41 years. Sonia has been involved in organizations which include the Convention and Visitors Bureau, the Chamber of Commerce, and our Downtown Dodge Association. She has participated in multiple successful grant applications on behalf of the Ford County Historical Society and is a leader in the renovation of the Home of Stone and the establishment of Legacy Center. Connie Pennick is the secretary, the board secretary of the Ford County Historical Society. She has participated at various levels to promote the historic value of the community of Dodge City. She served 12 years at Boot Hill Museum and 28 years with the Santa Fe Depot and Depot Theater Company, assisting with promotion and fundraising. She has recently retired, but she keeps busy researching and promoting the history of Dodge City and Ford County. The contact information for the society, you can find them on their website at kansashistory.us.fordco. That's F-O-R-D-C-O for Ford County. And you can find them on Facebook, Ford County Historical Society. Their email is info at fordcountyhistory.org. The address of the society is P.O. Box 131, Dodd City, Kansas 67801-0131 and you can phone them at 620-561-1925. Welcome to the program, Connie, Doug, Kent, and Sonia.
2: Thank you.
1: Hey, I think it's pretty cool that the 150th anniversary of Dodge City, Kansas occurred this year. What events were planned and are there any events happening for the remainder of the year? As far as the historical
3: society goes we are one big event so far was unveiling bat Masterson statue at the home of stone at the founders weekend which is the actual dates that dodge city was founded in june of 1872
1: what events are sponsored by the historical society versus the city
3: Well,
4: uh, one of the biggest events that the Historical Society is actually the lead with is the Hambell's Pioneer Picnic. Hambell, while he was not a founder of Dodge City, he was the mover and shaker of the time. He was noted as the best handshaker in Dodge.
1: And what was his name?
4: His name was Hamilton Bell, a a really colorful character, but he uh, was very interested in reaching out to people uh, in the area, Southwest Kansas. And so he actually was the person who initiated and started in 1936, the Pioneer Picnic. And then they got to calling it the Ham Bell Birthday Pioneer Picnic. And then they got to calling it a few other names, but it lasted over four decades
1: Wow. And so that no longer occurs.
4: Actually, the last one was that we've been able to note was in 1976. And that was the last we've been able to find. So we're going to try to do that and bring that back this year on September 10th in Wright Park, where they originally held the
1: first one. Oh, that's great. It's great that that park is still there, too. Oh, yes. Hey, for everybody's information, there's a great website called doddcity150.com which contains a lot of great information about the anniversary of Dodge City, the 150th anniversary of Dodge City, Kansas. I understand that the television program Gunsmoke was based on Dodge City. What can you tell us about that?
3: That started in 1955 and ran to 1975, and at the time was the longest running TV show on television, and it was based on Dodge City. person who played Doc on the show, Milburn Stone, was a native of Burton, Kansas, and he was the technical director when they wanted to know how far from town different cities were, and he knew it because he grew up in this area and visited Dodge several times growing up.
2: There's kind of a neat story, Sean, about uh, how Matt Dillon got to be named Matt Dillon. This is from one of the writers of the show who said, before they started the show, they came to Dodge City and spoke this out, and they, they were trying to think of a name for Matt Dillon, when they saw the Dillon's Grocery Store and decided it was probably a local store. It, it isn't, but that's where they came up with the name. I always thought that was kind of a fun story. And we
3: always tell people that that's how that store got started, because Matt Dillon started it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what can you folks tell us about the history of Dodge City?
3: It started because of the railroad. railroad came to town about the same time as town started in 1872, and that also made it a railhead, which meant the cattle drives came to town to have their cattle shipped out. And one of the things that's the same as today as it was then is we're still in the cattle business, only the cattle are driven to town now by 18 wheelers instead of cowboys, and we process the meat here ourselves instead of shipping it off.
1: So slaughtering is a big business in Dodge City. It's the biggest. Do you
3: think about 5,000 people are hired between the two plants?
1: Wow. So the city started in 1872, and the railroad was the cause of the city
3: being founded? It was a big cause. There were a few people here. Robert Wright, Wright Park, everything else, was here and started a store, and he had so much business when he sent in orders on different things. People thought it was a mistake, and they had to (laughs) deal with him because he did so much business. Very cool.
1: What about the history of Ford County? How
3: did it start? It started the next year. It started in 1873, and next year will be their 150th. And of course, being the Ford County Historical Society, we'll be very involved with that.
1: Oh yeah, of course. You mentioned Bat Masterson. What did Bat Masterson do in Dodge City that caused the people of the city to honor him and remember him?
3: He was probably of all the famous gunmen we had here, lawmen. He was more involved with Dodge City than Wyatt Earp or Doc Holliday. And he was the sheriff at one time. He was assistant sheriff at one time and would come back different times. He spent a lot of different times here and did things with the famous peace officers and all the rest and that with Wyatt Earp and so forth. And he had the longest history here. And also, he was honored through the years, not just this year with the statue. He sold one of his guns about a year, a year and a half ago for $488,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. His so- brother, Ed, is buried here. Yes. He was killed
2: here and buried here.
3: His whole family was here. It's all his brothers. And as Sonny said about one brother, and he originally came as a buffalo hunter first time he came here, as well as Wyatt Earp, and the most famous guys came here originally as buffalo hunters.
1: Then he eventually became the sheriff? He became the county
3: sheriff, yes.
1: Why is Dodd City known as the cow town capital or the queen of the cow towns?
3: Basically because of so many cattle we driven here. We have several cattle trails, probably the biggest one was the Western Cattle Trail, and for the whole era, thousands and thousands of head of cattle were driven here. And put on the trains to go east to the slaughterhouses at the time. And the cowboys coming to town were rowdy because they had been on a trail so long and were ready to celebrate. And it caused a lot of trouble and a lot of the gunfire. And that brought the reputation. That's how it happened and continued to happen through that cowboy era. And
1: so to control the cowboys that were shooting up the town and partying, I guess back then, yeah. then, then you had Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson who were the law. That's right.
2: They were pretty good at being on both sides of the law. (laughs) That is true. Oh, they were? (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: What did they do on the other side of the law?
2: Well, they had
4: interest in the saloons.
3: Oh, of course, yeah.
4: (laughs) And they were pretty good at gambling.
3: My earp always was looking for a way to make money through his whole career. Well, they were smart fellas. Yeah, they did it several times, not just that.
1: And did they stay in Dodge City? Are they buried there in Dodge City?
3: No. Matter of fact, Wyatt Earp ended up in Los Angeles and did some work with John Ford on movies, directing him on different things. Oh, wow. So it was in the real estate. Bat Masterson ended up in New York City working for a newspaper as their sports editor, died at his desk of a heart attack.
1: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, that's something you don't hear every day. Bat Masterson, yeah. this courageous lawman that helped tame Dodge City, went to New York City and was a sports writer?
3: Yes. Oh, and he, there's a better story than that. He befriended a cover reporter at the newspaper who became a famous author and playwright. And this was Damon Runyon. And he did the Guys and Doll play on Broadway that became a movie. And he was so good friend of Bats that he named him one of the main characters in Guys and Dolls, Sky Masterson. Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> oh, that's great. And Marlon Brando played that role in the movie version. Now,
1: I I understand there was a premiere of a movie in Dodge City. That's right. When did that happen?
3: 1939. That was a famous movie, if anybody remembers. The Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind. All kinds of movies were in that year. And a delegation from Dodge went out to California and talked to Jack Warner. And he agreed to do the premiere here, which we think is the first premiere done outside of Hollywood. Wow. And there's a Dodge City special train that came here with Humphrey Bogart, Errol Flynn, Olivia de Avalon, and several others. And they had a big premiere here. There was 50,000 people in Dodge, and ten thousand people in the town. They had to take the trains off to the sidings, and so people would have a place to sleep. What's the population of Dodge City today? Do you know? Around thirty thousand. So it was
1: huge. Huge. That's pretty cool. I understand there was an annual event in Dodge City that's no longer held called Dodge 300. What was that about?
3: That was motorcycle race in Dodge City for about ten years between the teens and the twenties. The Dodge 300 was probably the most famous motorcycle race in the country. That's okay. another time that we got more people in town than the town's population, and they again had to take trains, and put them off on the sidings for people to sleep because you couldn't have enough motels, hotels here, and it uh, was a very famous race. The oval, it can still be seen from the uh, sky if you're in a plane. And the real interesting story is originally Harley wasn't involved in a race. Indian was winning all of them. So Harley decided they had to be in this race. And when they came out here the first time, their racing crew found a piglet running around. And there's a picture of the crew with the piglet. And the myth is, story goes, that's how Harley got his Harley Hog (laughs) name. Oh, that's great. So that race
1: doesn't happen any longer.
3: No, it has. But an interesting thing, I just talked yesterday to the man who owns the land where it's on, and we have some interest in bringing back part of it. Is a historical site.
1: Oh, that would be great. Well, I'm glad you guys are around to do that kind of thing for the community. That's important. What was or is Mexican Village? I read something about it on the Internet.
4: You know, I think Sony, as uh, uh, she uh, knows a little bit about that uh, book, was just published, and she happens
2: to know the author
4: of that book. And so maybe Sony could speak on that.
1: Thank Mexican you, Sonia. Village.
2: Mexican villages were pretty common in railroad towns, especially in Kansas. Ours was from 1906 to 1956 when they finally completely dismantled it and forced people to move out of there. It was actually on the railroad property. I visited with an author of a brand new book, Tim Wenzel, who has got a book dedicated to Dodge City's Mexican Village, A Place and Time, just yesterday. And he told me the thing that made our Mexican village unique was they had a school, a church, and a grocery store. Most of them had none of those. I think the railroad had a little bit of a tough time getting them out of there.
1: Well, what is a Mexican village? Is it where the railroad would bring in workers from Mexico and create like a city? Yes. Oh, okay. Got On it. On the
2: railroad property. It was near the roundhouse.
1: And that was just to build or maintain the railway, right?
2: Originally. As far as I know, there's not even any remnants of it.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that's too bad.
2: Yeah.
3: That's too bad. There is a big Latino population in Dodge. As you mentioned before about the slider houses, a lot of our workers there are Mexican heritage.
1: Oh, very cool. Okay. Yeah. So they stayed in the area.
3: Right. Yes.
1: Uh, That's a great legacy. I bet some of them have stories of their grandmothers and grandfathers or their great-grandmothers and grandfathers working on the railway.
3: In Tim's book, there's a lot of pictures and articles about
1: that. Oh, Very cool. And that book's available on Amazon? Yes, Yes, it it is. is. Okay. Thank you very much.
4: You're very welcome. Tim is uh, also a member of the Ford County Historical Society and is very supportive of our historic endeavors. So we're glad he likes to do this kind of research.
1: Yeah, that's very cool. There's an important historical fort in your area known as Fort Dodge. Ford County Historical Society, is it involved with the preservation of the fort?
3: Yes, we are and county's kind of the head of that. I'll let her tell you.
4: It's a very large project and the endeavor to preserve Fort Dodge has taken a long time uh, I think one of the things that is most noted right now is that of seven forts that were established, Fort Dodge is the only fort not on the National Register. Our goal right now is to correct that and get Fort Dodge on the National Register for Historic Places. Yeah. The one thing that makes Fort Dodge a little more unique than any other of the historical forts is that it is still a what we call a living community fort, because it is the soldiers home Uh, was called Fort Dodge Soldiers Home. So there's still
1: people there at the fort, military people?
4: Uh, Yes, actually, you have to have served in the military in order to even be there at the fort, either for, you know, as an independent living situation or in the uh, health facilities. Your spouse could come with you if you served in the military uh, and were married. The spouse could come with you. So it was it was actually established for both men and women who served in the services.
1: Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, I hope you're able to get it listed. It really deserves to be, huh?
4: Yes, and it's been a a long process because, like I said, we are dealing with a fort that still has people at it. Most of your forts are just museums, while ours is probably some of the oldest buildings still original to around 1865, 1868. They're still standing and viable, but we need to preserve them. We have a very strong relationship with the uh, Kansas State Historical Society and our uh, Preservation Society that is in favor of preservation. And so we are working on that agreement.
1: That is great. And today, do Thanks. people visit the fort?
4: Actually, yes, they do. We do answer the questions about the fort. We have a trolley that runs daily uh, and the fort is um, a part of that trolley trip and they will talk a little bit about it and then the people can actually then if they would like they can go back to the fort and do their own walking tour if they would like but uh, most of the buildings are not open to the public at this time so we're hoping to be able to correct that so they can get access to the museum that's out there and some of the other historic buildings.
3: Oh, great. Kent, you were going to say something. One of the reasons we want to say Fort Dodge, besides the building itself, is the history of it, of course. And that history contained many personalities from the Old West, Civil War era and so forth. General Sheridan, General Sherman, Custer. You know, then we talk about Kit Carson and we talk about Buffalo Bill and we talk about several other people. And it's like I mentioned, too, that the man who wrote the discovering uh, Livingston in Africa with Stanley. He was a reporter and he was out there.
1: Wow, that's pretty cool.
3: There's others that I can't list all of them, but there is a Trevor Tro of things like that at Fort Dodge. And also it's only five miles from Dodge City, which is the Queen of the Cowtowns. I hope you guys can get that
1: listed and build a relationship with those folks to preserve what's out there.
3: We hope so too. <laughs>
1: Hey, can you please provide the audience with an overview of the communities that you serve in the area, the variety of your membership, and the mission and objectives
3: of your society? Our community is right now maybe two-thirds Hispanic, and also we have the smaller towns because we're a county in western Kansas, Spearville, Kansas, Buckland, Kansas, Ford, Kansas, and many other smaller communities, and we serve all of them we have especially done outreach to those towns I mentioned for their history. We don't want this just to be about Dodge City. We've had the smaller towns, one of the biggest John Deere dealerships in the country is in Buckland. And also in Spearville, we had a regional telephone company that was very, very successful. And we want all these people to be able to be involved in our review of our history because they were involved in it too. Well, that makes sense. And is your membership
1: in the county primarily, or is it, do you have members, you know, in the other
3: states of the United States or overseas? We have members in the county, of course. One of our uh, member at large is from Gray County. That's the county west of us. We have plans to meet with the other historical societies in southwest Kansas and even outside of southwest Kansas, Garden City, Liberal, other towns like that, and to spread the word. And we have some people who have lived here and gone other places that are still interested in participating when they come to town. And one of the things we've thought of recently is history is not being taught in schools as much as it used to be. So we have what we call a landmark art program where we're going into our K-12 system and having the students themselves do artwork of landmarks, one different each year, then we're going to award the top participants, and the, the awards are going to be given in the landmark itself. So they not only read about it, but actually make art out of it and be in the buildings themselves. Did you tell us about your mission?
2: Our, our mission is basically we're trying to create a future for our past. That's the short version of our mission. Well, I would
4: like to mention, Sean, also the longevity uh, and sustainability of the Historical Society. Uh, you know, we're talking mostly of, of what we've been doing currently, but I think we should note that the Historical Society is 91 years old as of May this year, All right. and uh, they actually started in 1926 just thinking about having a uh, historical society and their idea was to cover all of southwest kansas so in um, may 11th of 1931 they finally made that happen and they were called the southwest historical society And they began with 70 members, and the youngest was 12 years old. Then in March of 1946, they uh, changed their name. We don't know why, but they changed it to Dodge City Historical Society. And then in January of 1956, they hit upon the Ford County Historical Society. So over 91 years, we have been interested in not only Dodd City, but Ford County and all of Southwest Kansas.
1: Well, that's so early to be starting 1926. You probably have a lot of artifacts. I'm sorry to interrupt folks, but it's time for our first break for a few minutes. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important words.
2: You're listening to Sean Radcliffe and Preservation Oaks, the world's best podcast.
5: Please join the Ford County Historical Society, located in Dodge City, Kansas, and support their efforts to bring history to life for you and your family. Visit their website at kansashistory.us backslash Co. and learn more about this valuable local nonprofit organization. Donate, join, and become a member today. You'll be glad you did. It's time for Preservation Oaks, Book Shorts. Book Shorts is a segment of the program where we quickly introduce listeners to authors and books which satisfy your love of history and genealogy, help you with your own research, and finally help you improve the depth and wisdom of your unique family story.
1: On this installment of Book Shorts, we're very honored to be joined by author Robin R. Foster. Ms. Robin R. Foster began her incredible spirit-led journey in genealogy in 1985. She was a Family Search missionary from 2007 to 2014 and was selected as Family Tree Magazine's social media mavericks 40 to follow in 2014. She is the co founder and owner of Genealogy Just Ask LLC at www.genealogyjustask.com. Robin is a member of the South Carolina Genealogical Society Columbia Chapter, a member of Anson County Historical Society in Wadesboro, North Carolina, and served as a volunteer here at the Lawrence Local History and Genealogy Room of the Greenwood County Library. She also served as the Greenwood South Carolina Family History Center Director. Robin has extensive experience helping others and speaking to groups about genealogical research in the southern United States and naturalizations. She has a new book targeted for publication in August this year with the title, My Best Genealogy Tips, Finding Formerly Enslaved Ancestors. And that should be a great book and very useful for people. So listeners, I hope you'll jot down a note to self to go and get a copy when it's published. Please join me in welcoming Ms. Robin R. Foster to discuss her book, My Best Genealogy Tips, Quick Keys to Research Ancestry. Robin, thank you so much for being here. First of all, I'd like to say how awesome your book is. Thank you. Hey, how many people would you say you've helped with genealogy over the years?
6: Well, I'll tell you that it's got to be more than 64,000 people. In the last seven years, I'd say 64,000 people. I've been doing this since 1985.
1: A lot of people then. Yeah. And that's really what I want listeners to get is your books come from firsthand knowledge, a wellspring of experience. Yes. So how long have you been interested in genealogy?
6: I've really been interested all my life. Except I wouldn't call myself a genealogist. I was always interested in the oral history of my family. But in 1985, I became interested in genealogy.
1: So, I found your book called My Best Genealogy Tips Quick Keys to Research Ancestry. Can you give us an overview of your book?
6: One of the things is documentation is determined by location, and that means people are going to be taken to the research wiki on Family Search. That's what is really the basis for boundary changes or whatever state or country that they're in. They need to be there. Something that I get asked a lot I'm stuck. What do I do next? that's actually a chapter in my book and they're looking for their ancestor and they can't find them and they never move. Well, we know there ha- there must be a boundary change. That's Pretty much what the book is about, especially finding the historical records. I talk about lots of records.:
1: So the book is all about curated tips that you have learned over the years, and now you're sharing those with people so that they can make progress with their genealogy. Is that what inspired you to write the book?
6: Yes, Fantastic. So many people don't know basic things. I keep this book right by me because I look at, look at it myself.:
1: Fantastic. Where can somebody get a copy of the book?
6: Well, I like going to Amazon. And just so you know, my publisher has not paid me what I've sold. Oh, no. Yeah. So the attorneys are handling it. You can buy this book and then the new one will come out. Resolving Research Questions. But it's, it's my best genealogy tips. Resolving Research Questions. So
1: the book's the same, but the title is changing.
6: The title is changing, The cover's changing. I might add a little in the front, but it's basically the same book.
1: I very much enjoyed that through a couple of chapters, chapter 15, chapter 16, your advice to people is slow down. What's the rush? I think it's really good advice. Would you like to add anything to let people know why, in your years of experience in family genealogy, that advice would be one of the keys to success?
6: Well, there's always more when you're doing this work, there's always more that you can find out. You can search a collateral line. For example, you can search the social security index, and then you can order the SS5, and it tells you a lot more. So you just have to slow down.
1: You got (laughs) to think about all the different aspects of where to find records. Is that right?
6: That's right. And it gets more important the further you go back that you've done those things. Right. Because it gets harder.
1: Basic keys. Now, I understand you have a new book coming out in August called My Best Genealogy Tips, Finding Formerly Enslaved Ancestors.
6: Yeah, I'm excited about that one. It's going to be probably over 150 pages. It's going to be a lot. In there... I talk about South Carolina, North Carolina, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi. I think that's all of them, (laughs) but they're all my family or my husband's family. And it's very valuable for people who are looking for formerly enslaved ancestors.
1: Yeah, I know that can be really tough for people to find information on their ancestors when they were enslaved. So thank you for that. I'm going to be ordering a copy of your new book. My Best Genealogy Tips, Finding Formerly Enslaved Ancestors, as soon as it's available. Is it coming out in August?
6: It's going to be coming out August the 15th.
1: Well, Robin, this is a great book. Sorry to hear about the trouble and the fact that the title has to change, but listeners, you can find it on Amazon under one of those two titles. Robin, I'd like to thank you for your time today and for your books. Listeners, pick up a copy of this excellent book, My Best Genealogy Tips, Quick Keys to Research Ancestry, or My Best Genealogy Tips, Resolving Research Questions, which is what the title will be changing to. Now, you've had a couple of books now in this series. You've got one coming out in August on finding formerly enslaved ancestors, and you've got your Quick Keys, or the Resolving Research Questions, do you have plans already for a third book in the series?
6: Yes, I have plans on doing death records. There's all kinds of ways you can document death wills, of course, the death certificate, cemeteries, there's lots of ways. And so this book will be on that.
1: Fantastic. Well, I can't wait for that one. God bless you, Robin. Thank you for sharing your experience and helping others with your excellent books. Oh, and thank you for being a guest on Book Shorts. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Have a great rest of your day.
6: Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: And now, back to Preservation Oaks.
1: Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host Sean Thomas Radcliffe and we're here today with President Kent Stalick of the Ford County Kansas Historical Society located in Dodge City and his colleagues Connie Pennick, Doug Austin, and Sonia Hughes. Let's pick up where we left off. Welcome back everybody. Thank you. Thank you. What's coming up on the horizon for your society?
4: You know, you haven't heard from Doug, and Doug is a person with a vision for our exhibits, and he is our collections person, and so he could probably tell you a lot about our vision and what's to
7: come? Well, we, we acquired this building two or three years ago. The county bought for us 22,000 square feet. And our plan is that we will have permanent exhibits in here related to everything in Ford County. The main exhibit will be called Only in Ford County with uh, subsections, religion in Ford County, education in Ford County, the railroad in Ford County, Mm -hmm. all those different things based on what artifacts that we've gotten in. We talked a little bit earlier about some of the small communities. Ford is one of the small ones that's about 17 miles away. We acquired a huge collection from their school. It, It actually had closed 50 years ago and the city was using the old grade school as their city building, and they were preserving a lot of this old high school information, which included all the class pictures, 50 years worth of class pictures. There'll be a special Ford exhibit. Uh, We're also in discussions with People at Kingsdown, which was another little town that had a high school, about possibly getting their class pictures as well. So that's how we're trying to include those outer areas. But right now, we're just collecting everything that we can. We keep our eyes open for things around town. We've acquired different collections from families. One big one that we just recently got was from the Moss family. They apparently redid their whole house at some point and stored all the old stuff in the basement. And items have probably been down there 75 years, but there's some wonderful pieces that we got from there because the house is probably eventually going to fall down. Uh, We've also acquired some local retail kind of things. We have the sign off the front of the building from Eccles department store, which was a big, big deal here in downtown Dodge in years past. We also have signage that we got from the high plains journal which is another entity that's been around 75 years probably and they moved to a new location. So we acquired their their old signage, but they also provided us a lot of things from their production process from years gone by that they weren't taken with them to the new place. So we were able to get those things. We're constantly looking for new things and just getting things stored safely so that we can begin once this building, the city's requiring us to put in a fire sprinkler system And the stumbling block right now is figuring out who's going to pay for that. So we're hoping that the county in their new budget for 2023 will pony up the money. And once that's installed, then we can move forward with
1: more permanent exhibits. That's a big expense. Yeah, it's $175,000. If
4: we keep waiting, it'll be more. Oh, yeah. We have a funny story about when we go out and get collections. When we're told there is something available that they want to donate to the Historical Society, we don't know what we'll find when we go out. And the Moss family, they were out in the country. And uh, at the time that they had their house, it was probably one of the higher, nicer farm areas. And so there were some really nice things about it. The problem is that the house had been closed up for, oh, what, 20, 20 about 20 years. And uh, <laughs> my, my grandson was with us when Doug and I went to get the uh, donations. And he walked into a room and suddenly said, oh, and backed out. And I went, oh, no, what's in there? Thinking it might be a snake. It actually turned out to be a mother raccoon and her babies. Oh, my and I, I told, I told my grandson. I said, there is nothing in that room that we need. Uh, we'll let Mama Raccoon and babies alone.
1: Yeah, I don't blame you.
4: <laughs> but yeah, he he backed out real quick.
3: Oh, that's a great story. Thank you for that. Uh, if you get time, I got a funny story for you. Oh, go ahead, please. When they premiered the Dad City movie in 1939. One of the patriarchs at the time of this town was in college, and she came back for the premiere, and she went to a press conference that Errol Flynn was at. Errol Flynn was a chain smoker, and he smoked several cigarettes during the press conference. And when it was over, this lady picked up the ashtray, took it back to college, sold puffs on those butts for 25 cents a puff. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) They had Errol Flynn's DNA. (laughs) Yes. And she was the first of our great fundraisers.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. I need to ask you guys how did you get involved with the Historical Society? What was that journey like?
3: I got involved because I've been interested in history most of my life, going back to junior high and senior high. And I've been in Dodge for about 43 years, and I've worked on different things, tourism groups, and I was in the county commission and things that were interested in historic properties. And it just kind of was a natural flow to get into the historical society when George, our former president, left. Thank you, Kent.
2: This is Sony. Sonya, I, just the same thing. I joined the organization because I was interested in history and eventually they needed a treasurer. I agreed to do that. I've been doing that for a couple of decades, I think. (laughs)
1: Were were you a volunteer before you? I mean, how did you know about the opening?
2: Yes, I was a volunteer. Always, yes, that's correct.
1: Fantastic, thank you, Sonny.
4: Well, this is Connie. I actually am not sure exactly how I got interested um, because I was just invited to a meeting one time and I showed up and um, I kind of liked what I heard and I've always enjoyed history. For me, history is not only about dates and places, it's about the people and I'm interested in people. And so I thought, well, this might be something i could possibly do. And so it just was a progression then. After I started coming to the movies, uh, movies, coming to the meetings, they needed a secretary. And I tried not to volunteer. I really (laughs) did. But something was nagging me. And it just said, oh, hold up your hand and volunteer. And that's what I did. And I've been the secretary
7: ever
1: since. That's very kind of you. Thank you.
7: Well, and I got, in. this is Doug, I got involved, and my arm is still sore from how much when he twisted my arm <laughs> <laughs> and drugged me along. But I was born and raised here in Dodge City, lived here most of my life, and have been involved with Boot Hill Museum for quite a few years. So I knew that part of the history really well, and this just intrigued me as an opportunity to uh, an extension of what Boot Hill has been doing over the years.
1: Uh, um, thank you, Doug. Hey, Doug, you mentioned that the building on Gunsmoke Street, 310 Gunsmoke Street, believe you refer to as the Legacy Center. You mentioned that you have to put sprinklers in there. So right now that building is not open?
7: It is right now. The city allowed us last summer to have the uh, Motorsports Legend exhibit in here. It's a racing history in Dodge City, and there's Oh, there's like 12. I'm just looking over the railings, 12 or 14 vehicles in here right now. Oh, cool. And they allowed us to do that, but we can't go any further. These cars are supposed to be leaving right after Labor Day. And so we're hoping that we can get the sprinklers going this fall, but that's that's what's in here right now. The mezzanine level is kind of our archival and administration area. Connie's office is up here and we have a half of it is about is storage of artifacts, smaller artifacts up here. And then the full basement downstairs is where the bigger items are being put right now.
1: And the basement is weathertight? Yes. Very cool. What kinds of exhibits are on display at your facilities?
7: I
4: think you'd be talking about the home of Stone, which is the Mueller Schmidt house that actually was started in 1881. And uh, completed in 1882, the Mueller family lived there. And unique to the house is that it is made of limestone. And it is the oldest house in Dodge City in its original location. Oh, nice. The walls are 24 inches thick, so you're not going to move that house very easily. They actually cut the stone on the saw log and then brought it in to their location by wagon. And by building it with stone, you know, it was, we don't have a lot of trees out here in western Kansas. And so wood wasn't going to be an option. Okay. Uh, and uh, they had a wonderful stonemason, which is a whole history in itself. Also, uh, another person involved was the woodworker. And uh, so the interior was also done very well. So the whole history about the Home of Stone, which is actually an exhibit in itself, the uh, Mueller family sold it to the Schmidt family. They're the only two families that ever uh, lived in the home. And uh, a lot of their original furniture from the Mueller's went to the Schmidt's. And when the Schmidt's sold the house to Ford County to be used as a museum, they sold it with the original furniture. So there's a lot of everything that there that was from the 1880s. Wow. And so the house itself is a huge exhibit all in itself. And then, of course, we have the Coronado Cross. And I know Kent is uh, a little bit more well-versed on the Coronado Cross. So I'll let him talk about that.
2: Coronado
3: Cross is not too far from Fort Dodge. It's a 28-foot cross. And is on the place where Coronado came and held his first, or held the first, a Christian service in our North America. And basically, it was on the South uh, Shore of the Arkansas River and is commemorative for that. And a few years back, before I was involved, he found some artifacts out there. And sent him to, ultimately to the University of Chicago and they time dated him to the 1540s when Coronado was supposedly there. Wow. So who was Coronado? He's a Spanish explorer that came to find the cities of gold.
2: Seven, seven cities of gold. Seven
3: cities of gold. Oh wow.
4: Actually at one time in the area where we are located we actually were under I think six different flags of countries that claimed our territory.
3: Wow. Yeah, the south bank of the Arkansas River was once Mexico.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And what goes on at the Coronado Cross today? Are there celebrations or any of that?
3: Our Catholic diocese has uh, different events out there for people, a lot of the younger folks to know that history. And, uh, of course, it was a Catholic service to begin with mass so that continues with the church here and also anybody that that wants to that's out there on the highway can stop and visit to take pictures and uh, we always are maintaining it making it okay for visitors to visit and again it's so close to fort dodge it's a natural combination of fort dodge and the cross
1: oh that's fantastic that sounds really cool and is that cross made out of wood
3: no original cross was this is made out of concrete. But I bet it's beautiful, huh? Yeah, it stands out. It's lit at night, but people can see it at nighttime, too.
1: Does your society have any collections of artifacts exhibited anywhere else in the county? Basically, we have
3: one being put together here, the Haywood collection. I think Connie would probably know more about that than I do.
4: Well, uh, not really, as much as Doug knows. Okay, Doug. Uh, he's kind of worked a little bit more with uh, Robert Haywood
7: well, the Robert Haywood collection is just a, his personal library. So, those are, we're going to establish a research library so people can come. And he's got some, Robert Haywood wrote some pretty interesting books that are good history books. But as far as having anything else around in the community, we really don't at this point.
1: So, Robert Haywood was an author, a famous author.
7: Yeah, he grew up in Southern Ford County and later was at several different universities. He ended up at Washburn mm-hmm. University in Topeka. There's three or four books that he wrote that are related to the history. We have copies of those books in the collection as well as his his personal library.
1: How many books are we talking about?
7: There's probably three or four hundred maybe. Wow.
4: Yeah, the ultimate number I remember seeing were in some printed uh, material about when they were given to the historical society that the collection contained four hundred books.
1: That's great, and you're trying to start a reference library using that collection.
7: That's the starting point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's. We great. already have
7: been collecting. We've got quite a few yearbooks from different of the little towns around, so we'll have that archive as well.
1: That's great. You guys have so much going on. You've got the the legacy center that is coming along and you're developing that into a, what's going to be, a, I'm sure, a great center for the community, the home of stone, and you're starting a reference library. What kind of funding model supports the society? What are your funding goals this year?
3: Number one, of course, is Ford County because we are part of Ford County. We also have outside grants. We have a community foundation in Dodd City and they're big supporters. We have the Mariah Fund, which is a big supporter. We have the CFAB uh, group, which is the sales tax in the area. We have had outside uh, industries in Wichita and people that live there that used to live here. We have been very successful with the uh, SHPO, which is the Kansas Historical society and their different grants that that money allowed us to rehabilitate the homeless stone recently. We have collected the funds for the Bat Masterson statue from all those entities and we've started collection on the Dennis Hopper statue. Dennis Hopper, the movie star is a native of Dodge City and uh, we are going to have a statue of him on his motorcycle from Easy Ride. And that's being funded by the same folks and other folks interested. We're going to be talking to the Harley Davidson folks. We have been successful with almost every grant we've gone after. And that's going to expand when we expand to Fort Dodge because of the interest that facility will bring nationally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be great.
1: Just so listeners know, if you go on Google Street View or Google Earth, you will see that there are statues and plaques all through Dodge City. Is the Historical Society responsible for those?
3: Basically, the Trail of Fame was a separate organization until a few years ago that we were all involved with, and we have uh, taken over that. Uh, There are some 35, 40 medallions in the city, and they run through the retail area of Dodge City, so people go along it. will also go through our retail area. With the Trail of Fame and our participation, we have done four statutes, Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, Matt Dillon, and now... Matt Masterson and Dennis uh, Hopper will be the fifth.
4: Wow, nice. Well, I think it should be noted too that the Historical Society over the years have been instrumental in getting plaques around where original things happened, like the very first Saudi in the area or the very, where the bridge was located. And you know, Doug, help me here the a little first
7: bit. school building.
4: Yeah. We have plaques all over that denote the various historical areas that unfortunately had to be torn down, but a plaque was left there to at least designate. So that's quite a list as well.
1: Yeah, that's very cool. I know you have a statue of a big bull or something in the city. (laughs) Well, that would
4: be El Capitan. And El Capitan was the lead steer for the trail drives.
1: So he was an old hand and, and they just put him in front. He knew where to go
4: that's the story.
1: (laughs) Wow. I bet you that's true, you know. Animals are very smart that way. The citizens of Dodge City and the county, Ford County, and all of the members of the society, I'm sure, are very excited about all that you have going on. What type of fundraising activities or opportunities does your society offer for them to donate?
3: Well, there's several ways. We put out a newsletter, and there's ways that they can either become a life member or an annual membership through that. We also uh, have a lot of PR. We get good coverage in the newspaper, and we offer different ways of doing that. We're starting up an endowment campaign, kind of you could say planning and state planning, because we've been involved, some of us, with other organizations, and that is a way to really ensure your future financing. The larger your endowment gets, the more income it produces, and the more you can rely on that than just having to go out to your funders every year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: What kind of outreach and education does the society undertake within the community?
3: Well, basically, our Landmark Art Program, where the students are going to be doing their creations of different landmarks. That's going to be through the K-12 system, or USD 443. And also, we're going to go into the community college with that program and also into the school systems in Buckland and Spearville, not just limited to Dodge City. That will be a place where they can get hands on history, promote the landmarks, of course. Uh, basically, we also want to have other programs. We have tours given at the Homeless Stone for the students to tour the Homeless Stone through 443. And we want to make a big movement towards this because there's a potential federal program right now that offers big federal money. They have not uh, okayed it yet, but they will, uh, hopefully. And that is to promote history and to promote the history being true, the historical societies across the nation.
1: Oh, very cool.
3: We're very hopeful of that being successful. We are contacting our federal officials, senators, and congressmen to support it. That'll be great.
2: Uh, And Doug might want to speak about. You talked about a couple of annual events.
7: Last year, for the first time, we did our historic cemetery tour, where we took groups of people out to our cemetery and did a walking tour and visited the graves of some of the early pioneers in the city. And yeah, that was a fundraiser for us. We had sponsors, and we're going to be doing that again this year in October or the weekend of the 15th and 16th. And we'll visit another group of, of historic uh, characters that are buried out there. Then in November, we're going to do a historic organ tour. There are four churches in Dodge City that have pipe organ, and we're going to do kind of a progressive tour of those get to hear the history of the church, the organ itself, and then get to hear each one of them play. And then in the December, we will do our second annual Christmas tea at the Home of Stone. The house gets decorated for Christmas. We have refreshments and it's kind of a come and go just reception, but we have folks singing Christmas carols with the uh, the pump organ there in the parlor. So those are our something going on in the next few months. The other thing is that we interface with a lot of the other entities in town. We work closely with Hill because their time period is the old west up through 1900. So we cover 1900 to the present. So when they get people offering things over there that don't fit their time frame, they contact us and vice versa. So we're working together with them. The Kansas Heritage Center is another research library here in town. It was originally part of the school district and now is part of the public library, and they are a great resource that we use to find out a lot of things that went on. And then this, the Convention and Visitors Bureau here in town, they are part of the Historical Society, and uh, we interface with them a lot. They promote the home of Stone Forest and the Legacy Center. So we're doing a lot of things to stay connected to everybody in town.
1: That's great. Hey, what kinds of volunteer opportunities does the society have for members and the public?
3: We have a board, I'd say about 15 people, and about a third of those people are from outside Dodge City. You can have a lifetime membership, you can have an annual membership, and we're getting more people interested. Some people don't want to come to board meetings, but they want to do projects. And it seems every day we get more and more people (coughs) that are interested because they see the historical society doing things. And they think, okay, now there's a place I can put these things or that I can bring up an idea I have. And Connie will tell you, (laughs) is our point person that she handles most of this stuff on a day-to-day basis. And sometimes it's overwhelming. And it's happened in the last couple of years more so. And it's just, I don't know. It's like you, you started a couple of years back and it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And as you said, Dodge City's a special place. It is. We are not the average city because of our history, because of Hollywood, because of television. And it's just kept going for years, like uh, it's time to get out of Dodge, people say all the time, even though we don't want them to. And it's a special place. As far
4: as people, because I'm the people person, like I said, I I like to uh, work with people and sometimes it's just a matter of of being involved in the community and starting up a conversation and it will lead to what's going on and they would say hey you know i've got some free time uh i'd kind of like to volunteer there what can i do and uh (laughs) I said, if anyone is bored, they won't be after they come here
2: (laughs) because we have
4: plenty of things to do. We've got the documents that need to be uh, taken care of cataloged and we've got negatives and pictures and our small artifacts and then dug with our exhibits. And we uh, also have a team that whenever... Whenever we go out and need to gather up the artifact, Doug just puts out a, a notice and says, this is what we need to do. This is how many we need. This is the date we're going to do it. And they respond, and we go from there. And so I think the biggest thing is that it is just connection, verbal connection. Uh, we reach out, and they respond. Yeah,
3: Fantastic. And just to give you an example of how these things come up. Last night, I got a phone call from the man who runs our 3i show here. He was involved in the 100th anniversary of Dodge City. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Stan Kenton, the band leader. No. But he he's from Wichita, Kansas. And he worked with this gentleman at 100th uh, anniversary and did music. And they took over the Civic Center and called it Gay Lady Saloon and they put on this show. And he's got artifacts from that. And he called me yesterday that he wants us to come out and look at these artifacts from the 100th anniversary.
1: Oh, nice. And you'll have plenty of room once that legacy center is ready. Hopefully.
3: (laughs)
4: Yes.
1: What kinds of interesting books has your society published?
4: We have a book that was published by the Ford County Historical Society that is called Dodge City in Ford County, Kansas, 1870 to 1920. And it's the Pioneer Histories and Stories. We do have several volumes available. Let us know and we'd be happy to sell them one.
1: Great. How do they contact you? What's the best way for them to do that?
4: Oh, my goodness. You know, a, a email is probably the quickest and fastest and the most uh, used today.
1: Use info at org. All right. Use info at org. That's the email to get that wonderful book.
2: Yes.
3: Mm-hmm. That's
2: And great. I'm mentioning
3: another book because Tom Clavin, who's a pretty well known author, did the book Dodge City a few years ago. And he was, on, it was one of the books on the New York bestseller list for a year or so. And that pushed guests getting a Bat Masters statue because he didn't know why we didn't have a statue of Bat Masterson. And by the way, it is the only statue of Bat Masterson in the world, in the U.S. In the US.
4: I think there's one in Canada.
3: Was Bat Masterson in Canada? He's born Born in Canada. Yes, that's where he's from. Thank you for that. I mentioned one other author, and she wasn't really an author, but Josephine Earp, Wyatt Earp's third wife, we have her manuscript.
1: Did she publish a book, or she hand-wrote a manuscript that wasn't published?
3: Uh, She published a book called I Married Wyatt Earp. And
1: what was her name, Josephine Earp? Josephine Sarah Marcus Earp. Wow, very cool. And you also mentioned, somebody mentioned that there was a trolley that goes around
3: town. That's the Convention and Visitors Bureau. Okay. And they, they do those trolley uh, deals where it comes back. One of the stops is by the home of Stone. And eventually, well, they do go out to the fort now, but they can't let anybody off because the stuff they really want to see currently isn't open. And that's why we're going to do the historical register there. But, yeah, it's a trolley and it goes around most of the year,
4: they just even do more of uh, around and they called, uh, you know, uh, we have a collection of churches. I think it's called Chapel Hill. And they uh, go around and they, you know, just talk about the city itself and then go out. Uh, even I think they go to it's an overlook where we have a very large livestock feed yard. And uh, visitors who come out west are amazed at where those cattle actually reside (laughs) that they buy in the grocery store. It's a whole nother experience.
1: Oh yeah, I imagine. Well, that's great. If you've got the civic leaders investing in a trolley to go around, you must have a lot of visitors every year.
4: Yes, you know, Boot Hill Museum uh, and that uh, entity it does a really good job of keeping track of the numbers of visitors because quite honestly you can't come to dodge city without visiting boot hill and so they do that and i mean Their numbers vary from year to year, depending on uh, you know the economic status of the time, you know the weather. There's a lot of things that will come into play, and we keep records at the home of stone when we have those visitors. So sometimes they're upward of Doug, help me, fifty thousand
7: people anymore. I don't know the exact number, but we had an incredible year in 2021, and this year I think they're saying within 10 or 15 percent of that. I mean, it's down a little bit
3: because of the gas prices, but yeah, a lot of people come to town. Oh, well, that's great. We keep track of the visitors at the Home of Stone and also at the Legacy Center. And so far this year at the Home of Stone, we've had visitors from 47 states and nine foreign countries. And I think that keeps telling us that the uh, legend of Dodd City is still alive and well. You bet. I
1: want to remind listeners of the contact information for the society. You can find them on their website at kansashistory.us.fordco. That's F-O-R-D-C-O for Ford County. And you can find them on Facebook, Ford County Historical Society. Their email is info at Ford County The address of the society is P.O. Box 131, Dodd City, Kansas 67801. 0131. And you can phone them at 620-561-1925. That all sound correct, guys?
7: Yes. Thank you.
1: Certainly. Hey, it's time for us to take our second break for a few minutes. Listeners, we'll pick up where we left off right after these words.
2: You're listening to Preservation Oaks, where new episodes are created for you every two weeks. That's 26 episodes per season. Um, Let me see. That's like 182 in dog episodes, right?
0: Remember that feeling of wonder when you learned something fascinating about the past for the very first time? The Ford County Historical Society in Dodge City, Kansas is bringing the past back to life. Their goal is to celebrate the rich history and culture of Ford County. Be a part of the action by volunteering and supporting the Ford County Historical Society. Visit their website at kansashistory.us backslash and learn more about this valuable local nonprofit organization. Donate, join, and become a member today. The Heartland Museum in Clarion, Iowa. For over two decades, the museum's mission has been to preserve and celebrate agricultural life in Wright County and Iowa. Learn more about your museum at heartlandmuseum.org and join them in accomplishing the mission. The Heartland Museum in Clarion, Iowa. The heritage they've preserved is yours. Visit heartlandmuseum.org, call 515-602-6000, or email heartlandclarion at gmail.com for more details, admissions, and hours. There is something for everyone. This is Ruth Armstrong from the Genealogical Society of Lynn County, Iowa, located in Cedar Rapids. And I listen to Sean Thomas Radcliffe and Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. Back in time, when people got sick, they got well again due to the knowledge their mom had from her mom, and she in turn from her mom. And, well, you get the idea. A good knowledge of history is a good thing for all kinds of reasons when making decisions about the future. Learn the history of your ancestors and your community at your local historical or genealogical society. Historical traditions are there for a reason. Support your local society today and like a good mom, pass the knowledge on to your kids.
5: On Preservation Oaks, we understand that every museum, cultural and heritage institution, historical and genealogical society has a story to tell, and our mission is to help share that story and the value of your organization. When you appear as a guest on Preservation Oaks, you unlock and share your story with worldwide listeners. We have listeners across the United States, Malaysia, France, Germany, South America, Canada, Russia, the United Kingdom, and other countries. If you're interested in being a guest on the program, send an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. We're proud to help tell your stories, one valued organization at a time. Ah, history. The aroma is like rich farm soil or a familiar old book, the flavor bold and decadent, the touch divine. And the stories? Yes, the stories are luxury simply defined. Introducing Preservation Oaks, a program featuring museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies across the United States. If you think you're familiar with the stories of history, you haven't experienced listening to Preservation Oaks, the program that invites you to experience each unique episode featuring professionals from these essential organizations. Select any episode from wherever you get your podcasts, then sit back and enjoy the luxury of history. No worries, because the enjoyment's on us. And now, back to Preservation Oak.
1: Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. We're here today with President Kent Stalick of the Ford County, Kansas Historical Society located in Dodge City and his colleagues, Connie Pennock, Doug Austin, and Sonia Hughes. You guys have helped to really educate us on Dodge City and the uniqueness of this part of the country. And that's really great. Thank you so much for the information you've shared with us about your society. Let's pick up where we left off. Welcome back, Connie, Doug, Kent, and Sonia.
4: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: What's the easiest method for members of the public to donate to the society?
4: Really, if they feel the call and they want to support history, then yes, I would say the best way is just sit down, write out a check, and mail it to us okay. uh, at the uh, Post Office Box 131, Dodd City, Kansas.
1: Fantastic. And if they have any questions, they can always call and straighten that out. Can you tell our audience about the key or the most important initiatives or needs of the society right now that you want people of your area to know about and support?
3: I think basically they need to know about the projects, especially the center here, the Legacy Center, and also when we get further down the road with Fort Dodge, because Fort Dodge has a national impact, not international, and it's unique that it's still mostly intact and it's close Dodge City in that we get the interest in history back, especially to the youth. I think if you don't get the youth interested in what you did or done by the time they get to be adults, it's kind of a little too late.
2: Now that we have the Legacy Center, the real estate to accept donations, one of the things that Doug has been dealing with and we'd like to see more of is families that need a place for their artifacts to go because as families get more and more remote from one another and smaller and smaller. Many families have wonderful artifacts and they need a place for them to go and be taken care of and that and and if they do we can provide a permanent home. Doug you want to address that?
7: Well yeah that's one of the things that we try to keep the word out there. I've been trying to do an article in the paper monthly about new artifacts and showing people that there's things that they they might not think about that we would want, and we do. Uh, when somebody contacts me about artifacts, my first question is, well, what's its connection to Ford County? Because we want to make sure that we just, we're just we just not an antique store, as it were. We need to have the stories that go with it. Right. Uh, that's why this recent collection from the Moss family is so wonderful, because they have a long history in Ford County, not only in Ford, but also in Buckland. So those are the kind of things that we, we hope we get and we get the stories that go with them.
1: Well, plus you can keep those artifacts safe. You can keep them in temperature control and humidity control and preserve them properly, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's important. If I'm thinking about giving my collection, you know, that I've kept in a box in the basement, you know, for so many years over to somebody of my family, it's important that they know it's going to be preserved. Exactly. Thank you for that, folks.
3: Sure. We are the spokesperson, I would say, for history. And like you already know, we've been doing it officially for 91 years. And things come up all the time. We we find people that just yesterday, we had a uh, memorial service for our former vice president who passed away. And uh, several people came up with ideas and things they're working on mentioned the racetrack, the owner of the land of the racetrack was there and is interested in doing something. And uh, also he has other properties he's interested in. And we not don't always know what these projects are that should be preserved until somebody comes to us and says, did you know about this? And these stories we talked about today, we didn't know about a couple of years ago, some of them. And it's because of these people coming to us with this knowledge that we take it on. Uh, We are much more active today than we were five years ago, ten years ago, and I think it has given the community and people involved more of a knowledge and more of a desire to do more history.
1: Yeah, there's no place like Dodge City, that's for sure. What are your thoughts about how best to keep history and community support flourishing for the current generation like K-12? through
3: well, as we mentioned, our art program, we're about to start getting them to tour the facilities like we do at the Homestone, Stone and eventually do with others. Getting the community itself interested in educating the history of the younger people, the parents, the grandparents, the influencers of the kids, teachers, and so forth. They've got to have somebody who can relate to them, that history. And as long as we got people like sitting in this room right now, we weren't around when the Wyatt Earth's and everything were going on here. And yet we keep them in the public's eyesight. And hopefully that will continue in future generations. And I think that has to be done in every community, every state, because I just read a book about Abigail and John. That was John Adams and his wife when he was working in Washington to start the country. And I couldn't believe what I read because... They were separated for years, six, seven months at a time. She went through losing a mother, losing her daughter, and he was away. Mm -hmm. And they had agreed that they would both do this. He would stay in Philadelphia, and she would stay at home in Massachusetts and give up all that family life, all that sacrifice, because of the importance they gave to this country. And that's exactly the type of thing, I think, it has to be with us today. And in the future.
2: Yep. John, we're the custodians of whatever we can preserve for, for now, we're the ones in place for now and we hope we can raise interest of this custodianship, so to speak, in younger generation, that's our job. If we lose the younger generation, we have lost it.
1: Yeah, agreed. What services does the society offer for free? What do members have to pay for?
3: Basically, Anybody can come through the Legacy Center, the Home of Stone, without charge. They can make a a volunteer donation, which we hope they do. But as far as coming in, they don't pay anything to get in. And we want to keep that available with the the donations we get from other entities. And our meetings, of course, are open to the public for them to come to. Uh, I don't think there's anything that we would prevent people interested in, in seeing what we do It would cost them anything but their time, and we want to continue that.
1: Fantastic. That's a great sentiment. Well said, Kent. Is there any other information or any message you'd like the community or members to know about?
3: Well, you know, if they don't know about us currently or what all the things we do, I think your podcast is going to help that, especially maybe just not locally, but the entire state of Kansas and outside the state of Kansas. Because who knows what former former, uh, resident of Dowd City, Ford County, lives in another state somewhere and says, oh, boy, I've had this stuff, like you said, in my basement attic, and I can get that back to them. We get letters from people that used to live here with pictures and postcards and whatever they have. And the more the word gets out from what we're doing with you today and other things, the better and the more that's going to happen.
2: But essentially, Sean, this is Sonia. If they, if you know, if people like history, they'll like they'll like being involved with us and our endeavors, and they'll have an opportunity because of this new Legacy Center. They'll have an opportunity to get on the ground floor and their participation. So yep. people might find that appealing.
1: So that Legacy Center, it looks like the timeline, at least to me, from what I've heard, is this fall. Potentially, we'll put in sprinklers and then it'll be open for business and you'll be able to utilize the entirety of the space.
3: That's right. And we really wanna do is make sure we're open by the spring because in the spring, April of 2023, Ford County celebrates its 150.
1: Oh, that's nice. Wow. Oh, that's great.
3: Oh, that'll be a and great- with
4: program. all of Doug's ideas for exhibits, it's going to take a lot of people, a lot of hands to help put those together.
1: Yeah, and I bet they'll be fantastic. Hey, Doug, did you mention how many artifacts in total that you guys have as an organization?
7: A bunch. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- th- I have no guesstimate on a number. We have collected things that have been in storage around town, because before the Legacy Center, the historical site didn't have a central location other than the Home of Stone. Right. So We've moved so many things in, we've picked up a lot of new things and we're, we're going to be using the past perfect software to start cataloging
1: those items. So I can't even make a good guess on that, a, a bunch. <laughs> yeah, okay, fantastic. It's such an exciting time to be a part of the action.
4: Sean. I need to say, to, to add to Doug's comment about how many we have, when uh, the Heritage Center moves and we receive some of it it's like Christmas every day when we open a box, oh, and wow. we have all kinds of boxes that have yet to be opened. So it's about Christmas every day around here.
1: Oh, that's great. Uh, you'll be able to tell such a story of the
7: history. Well, the interesting story about the Haywood Collection, it was, it was originally stored at the Kansas Heritage Center, which was part of the school district. And when they closed that and moved over to the public library, we made the assumption that the books went there. Then we got contacted by the former president of the society saying, where is the Haywood collection? And we assumed it was at the library and we checked with them. They didn't have any idea what we were talking about. Oh, no. So that's what we discovered in some of the boxes we had. We had the collection here. We just didn't know it. Thank
1: goodness. Now, reflecting just a bit, how do you think your members, volunteers, and the community view the society in terms of benefit and value at this time?
3: I think basically because before the last six, seven years, the society was kind of in the background. And I think because it has happened since, they value it more. I think the, uh, some people are just waiting for something to happen. And those people have come forward. And between yesterday and today, I've had, a, I think, three people come up to me, a couple that I've never talked to about it before and tell me how interested and how grateful they are for what we've done. To me, this whole thing is about history, but it's also about the people. And if we didn't have the right people that are willing to do what they have done the last few years, it wouldn't be where it is today. And as far as the future, the same thing. It's all going to be about people. That's why we got to transfer this to the younger people so we have people coming up another generation that can do what we're trying to do today and others will
1: in the future. Yep, very much agree. I wanna thank you, Kent, Doug, Sonia, Connie for spending time with us today. I'm really happy to meet you. It's wonderful learning how much your society does to help the community and your members and go Dodge City. And I really wanna check back with you in about a year to see where you're at. Good. Thank you, Sean. Yes,
2: thank you. Thanks.
1: And with okay. that, we'll end our time with our guests, President Kent Stalick of the Ford County, Kansas Historical Society, located in Dodge City, Kansas, and his colleagues Connie Pennick, Doug Austin, and Sonia Hughes. Listeners, please stay tuned for my comments and wrap-up, which is coming up next.
0: Into the past with Preservation Oaks. Voyage with us every two weeks for another episode that brings history and your community alive. Join us on a journey with the finest guests from museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies. We'll share the best information about these core societal organizations. You'll learn about the great work they do and why you can feel good volunteering and supporting them. Join us wherever you get your podcasts and then follow, comment, like, and listen. When so much of history is about the big moments, it's the detail stored and preserved in cultural, genealogical, historical societies and museums throughout the United States that makes the stories about the people and events of those times truly unique and enjoyable. With each episode of Preservation Oaks, you have an adventure where history comes to life. You can take pleasure in knowing more about these trusted American organizations, like how they're funded, how volunteers can help their essential value to your community, and the services they give back. No detail is overlooked at Preservation Oaks. Visit preservationoaks.podbean.com today, where great adventures are presented in every episode. If you're a historical or genealogical society listening to Preservation Oaks, and you'd like to be a guest on the program, please email preservationoaks at gmail.com. Again, that's preservationoaks at gmail.com. Listeners, thank you for listening. You can comment anytime about the show or send suggestions by emailing preservationoaks at gmail.com. Thank you.
4: And now, back to Preservation Oaks.
1: Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. Oh man, you folks are so lucky in Ford County, Kansas, because this is a very exciting time for everyone volunteering with the Ford County Historical Society. By the way, congratulations on the 150th anniversary of Dodge City. And next year, congrats on the 150th anniversary of Ford County. Your historical society in Ford County is over 90 years old. Now, even though the society's been around for a long time, This particular time at the Ford County Historical Society is the ground floor of a lot of very positive action for the area. And there's quite a lot of action that needs to be completed to make the Society's home in the Legacy Center at 310 Gunsmoke Street come alive. Sprinklers will hopefully get installed this fall, and then after that, they're going to need volunteer artists, computer people, carpenters, metal workers, photographers, digital workers, historians, archivists, curators, and electricians to get the exhibits planned, built, and installed in the Legacy Center. You know, these types of exhibits can't be bought at your favorite online shopping site. They have to be planned and built on-site and for public exhibition which means they have to be safe and look good. So the Ford County Historical Society is going to need an army of talented volunteers to get the Legacy Center set up and functional for the residents of the county. If you can help in any way, please connect with them. In addition to the exhibits, because the Historical Society didn't have a permanent home with enough storage to properly archive the hundreds of artifacts in their collection, their total collection needs to be re-inventoried and cataloged. The collections are now thankfully in one place in the safety of the Legacy Center. They'll be using the Past Perfect software, which is a collections management piece of software. But they're going to need volunteers to help get all the artifacts accounted for and entered into that software. Please connect with the Society if you can help. Beyond all that action, there will be opportunities for volunteers to help with the preservation of Fort Dodge. There are buildings there from 1865 to 1868 that will need to be assessed and conserved. Plus, there are always opportunities for volunteers to work with the public. Not only at Fort Dodge, but also at the various events the Society sponsors. Like the Hamilton Bell Annual Pioneer Picnic in September. The Historic Cemetery Tour in October the Historic Organ Tour in November, and the second annual Christmas Tea in December. Not to mention, there's 30 to 40 medallions, plaques, and statues that need to be maintained all around the city. For those who like quiet and books, the Historical Society is planning to start their own reference center and potentially start helping people with their genealogy. Starting with the Robert Haywood 400 Book Collection, There are many, many other documents, photographs, and stories to document as part of the multi-year project. If you'd like to be a part of it, please connect with the Society. Please, everyone in Ford County and beyond, join the Society, support the Society, and volunteer with the Ford County Historical Society, and be one of the people who rolls up their sleeves to get these awesome projects started and completed. I wish you all the luck in the world. The contact information for the Society, you can reach them at their website at kansashistory.us backslash Co. You can find them on Facebook at Ford County Historical Society. You can email them at info at fordcountyhistory.org. You can mail them at P.O. Box 131 City, Kansas 67801. Or you can phone them at 620 561 1925. Now there are a thousand questions I could have asked during our time together, but I didn't in the interest of time. If questions occur to you and you'd like more information, please connect with the Society via the contact information provided in this program. If you're a listener in the area the Society serves and you're not already a member, please consider joining, volunteering with, and supporting the Society. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the society is to the Ford County communities and what kinds of excellent experiences they have to offer to their members and the public. The Ford County Historical Society is truly one of our Preservation Oaks. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Asher Fulero, Akash Gandhi, Quinces Morriera, Track Tribe, Scott Holmes, and Cymbalbird. MicroStream Radio is a registered trademark. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by MicroStream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of MicroStream Radio. Thanks to everybody for listening. In honor of Bat Masterson, I'll say this is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. See you all next time at the same Bat Time and Bat Channel. Preservation Oaks.